Hey, folks, welcome back to the DC Three Cast. My name is Brian. With me, as always, are Zach and Vince. Before we get to this week's books, we're going to talk about all the news that dropped at New York Comic Con. But first, Vince, I have a question for you. Oh, boy. You had said if the stuff from New York Comic Con wasn't really great, you were going to quit reading comics. Does this live up to the hype that you set for yourself? I said that. Yes, I think did. I said that. Oh, Zach, I'm sorry. You said that. Well, go ahead, Zach. Does it live up? No, to I said, I think what I specifically said is if the announcements were mid, I would quit the show. Okay. And um, they they were just slightly above mid. <laughs> <laughs> they were mid plus. for all eternity. They were yeah. mid plus. <laughs> they were mid plus. So you're, you're, just, you're stuck with this. All right. So let's talk about, t- there are sort of four or five biggish things to talk about. We're going to start by talking about Lazarus Planet, which is the new Mark Wade spearheaded event that's taking place weekly from January 10th to February 21st. Um, so Endless the- Winter 2. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yes, exactly. Uh, except much cooler. Yes, much cooler. But yeah, also Mark Wade. DC infected too, in, in a way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, JL Ape. Oh, oh boy. JL Ape 2. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, uh, you know, there is Lazarus Island, the volcano erupts and the world gets all messed up. The image that was sent out um, shows a couple of really cool things. We see uh, uh, Batman wearing the Dr. Fate mask. We see electric blue John Kent. We see a doomsday fied Martian Manhunter. Uh, it, it's It's pretty fun stuff. Now, we get some teasers here. Like, for instance, it says, can Power Girl free herself from the out-of-control Omen? Who are the mysterious trio claiming to be the resurrected siblings of Raven? Will Dreamer's visions guide our heroes to the path of victory? Can Mercy Graves survive the transformation she's undergone? Etc. I want to talk about the new hero, City Boy, which, first (laughs) of all, City Boy sounds like an insult that somebody, like, with a real over-the-top Texan accent would say to a football player who just moved there from New York. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also basically just uh, Jack Hawksmore, right? Yep, yep. Which is fine. Um, it's his sidekick. Yeah. but the, it's, you know, it's, a, it's a Adam Sandler weekend update character who just <laughs> says different names of cities in a funny voice. Minneapolis! Dan Bernardino! That's the perfect one. I can't, I can't top that. Um, we also know that some of the other creators on this include Ricardo Federici, Gene Luen Yang, Billy Tan, Nicole Maine, Skylar Patridge, Francis Matipole, Dan Waters, Philip Kennedy Johnson, and Josie Campbell. So I just want to get your guys' general uh, taste for this project. How are you feeling about it? I honestly don't. No, like Wade being attached to it and it's spinning out of stuff he's doing makes me uh, at least hopeful for it. And the fact that it is just a weekly thing essentially is is very cool. But it also kind of it's so I I feel like I have a hard time getting excited for anything that is like a big multi-talent project like this because you just you just don't know what you're going to get and a lot of these names you know tick boxes for me but uh it all feels very gimmicky 
Vince? I, I'm pretty excited considering it's Wade driven. Um, also, I think I'm, I'm definitely interested in, in reading more Josie Campbell work. Gene uh, Yang is fun. Gene Yang. Yep. Yep. Definitely. Yeah. There's, there's good creatives here. I think, especially with crossover events that doesn't always lead to good stories. Um, you know, great talent can come together and try to craft a story together and it ends up being lesser than the individual parts. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's definitely it. I'm tempering expectations here. But, you know, just like if a um, villain you don't really care about seeing shows up on the final page of a Mark Wade comic, <laughs> well, you know, at least it's Mark Wade writing it. And shadowing so... for next week's show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think you know I'm I'm still in my in my honeymoon phase with with uh, Mark Wade back at DC, and I'm I'm willing to give this more of a shot on those grounds. Yeah, there is a couple of things that I think this has going for it. While also, I think we need to acknowledge that this essentially just feels like an event that isn't going to have any sort of real like teeth within the DC universe because of the way it's being presented in these, like this weekly self-contained thing. It's, it's going to be its own story. How do you, what do you mean by teeth though? I feel like, I feel like, like this, this go, oh, ahead. go ahead. No, you, you exactly. well, I was going to say, I feel like this is kind of, this to me seems kind of like integral to a lot of stuff that's going on at DC, or at least we're, in a thing that we're going to talk about in a minute, it seems like it's pretty influential from some of the stuff we've seen. See, I just feel like whenever an event is poised as this standalone thing that's happening in its own little world, that oftentimes that doesn't bleed out into the DC universe proper. I I would typically agree with that except for the fact that there are at least two things from this that we know are going to bleed into the main dcu is one of which an action comics backup we'll talk about in a minute yeah one is that and then the other is the john kent status quo which is going to be picked up in his mini series that's coming out right that's it it's at least going to intersect with that there so those are the only ones that we know sure but uh from those things it does at least seem like whatever events are happening in this series are are going to affect some dcu books i'm not entirely sure of that like to me it seems like those might be relatively uh contained ripples right um but again i don't think that really matters as long as the story is good and I think that Wade has done a Wade has done a good enough job since coming back to DC that I give him the benefit of the doubt for any new project he's working on. I will give it more than a cursory look. I will give it a I will be excited about it because he is just doing next level stuff. I also feel like I, I know what you're saying, Vincey, about when there's a lot of talent attached to one of these events that you don't always know what that's going to mean in terms of quality or even in terms of um, 
like how integral those other talents will be to the story itself. But I think with a story like this, where there's this there's this event that happens and it's seemingly affecting, you know, all of the DC universe in one way or another, you can spin you can spin creators off into their own little worlds, and it's not as like it seems like it's a more natural thing to to have different creators do their own takes on this versus when everything is supposed to feel more cohesive and there's one overarching story. The story here is that the Lazarus thing explodes and so everything is different, right? So you can I think that buys it a little bit of uh that that buys the structure a little bit of leeway with me. Yeah. If that makes sense. Sure. Also, with the exception of Federici, I like everyone named here. And even Federici, I think, at times can work well. I know you disagree with me about that part, Vince. Yeah. Anything else to say about this? I, I will be... I, I will love when it's the only thing we talk about from DC for the first two months of the year. <laughs> um all right so the next up is a sort of reimagining of the superman line so superman son of kal-el is coming to an end but we are getting a new john kent miniseries called adventures of superman john kent we are getting a new superman title by joshua williamson and jamal campbell with nick dragata also featuring in on art somehow and we are getting uh, Action Comics going to uh, remain under the pen of Philip Kennedy Johnson with Rafa Sandoval doing art. And we are getting two backups in that. One of them is called Lois and Clark 2 Doom Rising by Dan Jurgens and Lee Weeks. And one of them is a Lazarus Planet tie-in written by Leah Williams with art by Marguerite Savage starring Power Girl. So how do you feel about that that, that Superman family announcement? I mean, that's the biggest DC announcement coming out of New York for me is this kind of revamped, refurbished Superman line. Um, I hope it's good. (laughs) I feel like every Superman relaunch, revamp following, you know, from Rebirth on has been like really good at first and really promising. And then it just like loses steam you know, six months in, <laughs> six months to a year in. Um, I mean, Williamson on Superman is, I think, something that we were all kind of predicting, or especially Brian, I th- or maybe it's been somebody it on was the me. show. Thank you very was, much. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think Brian, I think Brian had been kind of talking about it as well. I think we all had, but I was maybe the one who was most holding out hope that it might, it might be someone else. Not that, again that I have anything against Williamson. It's just. Um, I maybe would have wanted to see a different different take on the character, or or a different voice on the character, maybe. Um, but Williamson is is you know, I think not going to be bad. Um, I think it will at least be a very. Uh, I I think it's a pretty safe choice, but I think I think it's you know definitely not a bad one. And then having Jamal Campbell and and potentially to some degree, uh, Nick Dragada's that's like an incredible art lineup. So I'm definitely here for that. Um, Sandoval on action is a huge, huge level up and, and 
I hope it can last as long as it can. I'm, I'm like already feeling the bait and switch where like Sandoval might be on the book for like six months and then <laughs> it's like back to, you know, I'm not going to like name a name, but <laughs> some, someone that I'm like less interested in. Um, but I really do like the multiple backup format and kind of Philip Kennedy Johnson's uh, committal, you know, uh, kind of commitment to making this like a Superman family book. Um, I'm all for that. Um, I think it's a, a little, maybe not concerning, but it, it's interesting that they're kind of relegating John Kent to like a mini series now. And I kind of wonder what that's going to be like after that mini series is over, like what, john kent's place in the dcu is going to look like um i wonder my thought on that zach is that this is just a way for tom taylor to finish off his john kent story yeah and then we're going to get a different john kent book coming out of that or maybe a john kent led team book or something like that that could be yeah that could definitely be the this miniseries sounds pretty interesting i've I've kind of fallen off of superman son of kal-el a little bit but um this mini sounds really interesting because it has Val Zod, the Superman from Earth 2, uh, and also kind of tying back to some of the stuff that Bendis did with uh, Ultraman um, and and John. So that's that's pretty promising. Uh, Clayton Henry on art is, is you know, fine. It's not... Uh, not mind-blowing or anything, but it, I think that's interesting. Uh, my thing is like they even in I think some of the like press and announcements like pay lip service to like the triangle era mm-hmm. but this I, I don't feel like this is getting to the triangle era or doing I, I don't feel like we're going to be getting that kind of like interconnectivity or you know uh, obviously there's not even enough books to do like weekly type stories unless you were to like wrap in like world's finest with that or something i wish that they would just like take the plunge and just do do triangles again and just go for it um make superman weekly again essentially with all these with all these creators but it's just a just a few steps too short for me that's like like i said this was my biggest announcement of new york but it it also just fell short just a little bit i think from kind of how how grand in scope I want the Superman line to be. I get that. Um, I I will say that for me, there's a couple of things about this that I really do like. One of which is I think it's great that power girl is going to have a role here because that's yeah. a character that's been very much ignored over the last decade or so as part of the Superman family. So I love that we're getting a, um, a power girl story out of this. I also like that. Look, I, I, that Lois and Clark book is like weirdly one of the more important titles of the past (laughs) like 15 years. Yeah. Uh, But it certainly doesn't feel that way. Uh, But I like that they're doing a sequel to that because I think it acknowledges that they can, you know, reference a weird book that maybe doesn't make a ton of sense. Continuity wise. Uh, I think that's fun. And um, Nick Dragata on Superman. I mean, how is that not just like the dream come alive? 
Yeah, I really wonder like to what degree that's going to be or what that's going to look like. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's too much to hope that it's like a three Like, on for one artist, three on for the next and yeah, so forth. yeah, But uh yeah, I, yeah, I don't feel like either are necessarily like quick artists, you know, no. I mean, Campbell does. I, I mean, I guess he did do like all of Far Sector and both of those Naomi Naomi, yeah. minis. But there, there was a gap between those. Um, yeah, I don't know. I wonder what that I, I really wonder what that's going to look like, because it. It, the announcement was kind of weird because it, it seemed like it was announced as Williamson and Campbell and then Williamson in his like little blurb name dropped Dragota. Um, so yeah, there's, there's just a lot we don't really know. Vince, anything else about these? Um, I think I'm somewhere between you guys <laughs> as usual. That's really all I need to say. No, the, the power girl stuff sounds dope. I like the creative team. I love seeing power girl again. Um, the visuals were the most exciting thing about this. I think all the Dan Mora, all designs, the Dan Mora stuff, yeah. they look so good. And even some of the alternate covers that were not by Dan Mora on some of those on like the action mm -hmm. issue, uh they were either really cool looking or they teased something about the superman books to come that i'm excited about um yeah it, it was cool visually. seeing um kong keenan getting highlighted again yes yes, yes. yep yep um and natasha uh she has like a nice little superman hoodie to go over her steel costume now <laughs> Yeah, I, I love that this image has, you know, it has Superman, it has Kong Keenan, it has John, Kara, Connor, Natasha, and who are the two folks at the bottom there? The twins from from, from action. From yeah. action. Yeah. I mean, this is just a really fun lineup of Superman characters. I think it's also interesting to note who's not here for this. I think it's interesting that Steel himself is not here, but uh, Natasha is. Yeah, I think he, I think he is going to play a role in the books, though, from what they've said in some interviews. We, it is just kind of weird that we haven't seen any like artwork, which maybe yeah. that just means there's not like a new design or anything. Right, right, yeah. Um, I am also pining for the return of Lana Lang, Superwoman, but that's just me. I think. <laughs> no, I would, that would be love. cool. That'd be very cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, these damn more designs are just really cool. And again, like, I just love the fact that they're leaning into the Superman family as being more than just one character. It's time we got that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really want this to be big and cool and for us to get some, you know, like new Krypton level Superman stories out of this, you know, like, mm -hmm. I know World World was kind of supposed to be like a big Superman event, but it, uh, you know, I've made my said my piece on what I thought of that story, and um, I I do kind of hope this like new rejuvenated line gets to tell some big 
Superman family stories that, uh, you know, when, when's the last time we had a big Superman story? I mean, I think it depends if you're talking about a big Clark story or a big like Superman family story, because to me, that's what this is promising. Yeah. And maybe New Krypton is the last time. I, I guess there was that like when they merged the pre Flashpoint Superman with um with Flashpoint Superman. Or, yeah, or with, that, right, with that little Superman. crossover. Yeah, like that that yeah. was, I guess, kind of a big deal. And I guess when Rebirth started, when you had those like action was doing this one set of those stories and then Superman was doing something a little bit different. And then there was um, there was the Superwoman story and Supergirl. I I guess that I guess there was a lot of stuff happening then. There was a lot of stuff, but it was still like very. uh, I don't want to say. The scope was still pretty small, I think, you know. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I like I said, this was m- my favorite announcement out of everything and and I I hope it's I hope it's really good. Um I hope I hope they do cool big things. And and I hope that, you know, I don't think we know how long the Jurgens and Leah Williams backups are going to be. I I hope that the Leo Williams one is three, three parts. Three, okay, okay. And for some reason, in my mind, the Jurgens one, I think is like I thought I read it was like six, but I I might be making that up. I would um, say that is going to wind up being almost the length of a miniseries. You think so? Yeah, <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe so. Um, but I I just hope they have like a lot of cool rotating talent coming through. Um, you know they've had Lapham doing those backups in action, which have been really cool. Um. I just hope we get a lot more of that sort of thing too. Um, I imagine like we, it, it's not out of the realm of possibility to get like a Gene Luen Yang, Kong Keenan story or right. Right. Uh, you know, or a Connor story. Uh, yeah. Con- yeah, absolutely. A Connor story. Uh, you know, there's the options are a Bibbo story. <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll finally find out if Bibbo is circumcised. Um, <laughs> <laughs> inside joke yeah yeah all right uh let's quickly move on to they announced a bunch of milestones can i can i mention sorry sorry, go ahead yeah yeah i just i it's exciting because maybe this means that we're living the dream that we talked about with the batman urban legends thing where like we've always talked about how we want kind of anthology feeling books that tell rotating stories that are very much in continuity. Mm-hmm. And urban legends gave us that to a certain degree. Like there were a few stories in there that were meant to clearly reflect current continuity. And then there were others where they could really take place anywhere and it didn't matter. You know, the yeah. ones that the ones that really did matter, I'm thinking of like the Jason Todd one that attempted yeah. to actually move that forward the outsiders. Uh, the the outsiders. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Um, I want that so badly to be the model for comics in general at the at Marvel and DC, because I think then these characters that get the short shrift because there's too many Superman, Batman comics get to play a little bit more. 
Um, I think it's potentially exciting that DC's considering doing stories like this. And then the next step is what Zach wants, which is for it to be like quarterly <laughs> comics. Right. <laughs> like, uh, 100 ish, 100 page issue four times a year. <laughs> then we're cooking with gas. Hey, <laughs> when there's all these layoffs that are just about to happen again at Warner's, maybe that's, uh, you know, how they can save a little money or whatever the hell is going on over there. Who knows? Yeah. I, I feel like the entire, like, uh, I, I hate the term like geek culture or whatever, but like anyone who gives a shit about things like comics or fantasy or whatever, everybody is just ready to go storm the gates of uh Warner discovery to mm-hmm. save whatever their, whatever property is most endangered that they care about. Yeah. Cause it's looking pretty bleak over there. Um, anyway, th- there was a bunch of milestone stuff announced, which I think feel like is, is very cool. Cause next year is the 30th anniversary milestone. So we get the next static miniseries, static shadows of Dakota by Vita Ayala, Nicholas Draper, Ivy and Chris cross. Um, we also got an icon versus hardware story by Reggie Hudlin and Leon chills. Which is a five issue miniseries. We're getting a milestone 30th anniversary special, which has a ton of milestone alumni and also some new folks like Stephanie Williams uh, coming onto the book. That will also have a Static Shock Beyond story, which takes place in the future and has uh, sort of old Static teaming with uh, a young. Um, is it sorry? Is it an old Bruce Wayne or is it a young uh, Terry McGinnis? I think it's Terry. Yeah, Terry remember. was in the artwork. Yeah, uh, very very cool. And that's Nicholas mm-hmm. Draper Ivy, isn't it? I believe so. Yes. Yeah, definitely. I know. I said the the Superman thing was my favorite announcement from DC, but this was by far the coolest announcement. Um, it's probably just going to be like a small little story as a part of that 30th anniversary special, but just the artwork and the idea is just. It's just shway. What can I say? <laughs> it's very shway. Uh, so all of this was announced at the miles at the uh, Jim Lee and Friends panel at New York Comic Con, and the friends that they were referring to was uh, Joe Casada, who will be doing <laughs> covers for Batman uh, for a while. Which is Casada is coming. Casada is coming. Yes. <laughs> uh, next thing you know, Dan Didio is going to be writing Captain America or something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah. That, would, that would whip. Yeah. It honestly would just like reboot. If you put uh if you put uh Keith Given and Scott Koblish on art doing their Kirby impression. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> That'd get wacky in a hurry. Yeah. Basically just just do the OMAC team doing Captain America. Make it happen, Akira. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Ow. And uh, the final announcement that we want to talk about is uh, one that probably impacts our readers and listeners more than anything else, which is that DC Universe launched a new tier, DC Universe Infinite Ultra, which is like way too many descriptors, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> it's so it, the old plan cost, I believe it was $59 a year. This is $99 a year, so it's $40 more, but. You get new, you get comics will hit this just a month after being released, uh, to stores. 
Um, it's also going to have 5,000 more titles on the service as of November. And uh, everyone upgrading will get a, f- a physical copy of the Death of Superman 30th Anniversary Deluxe Edition with an exclusive Ivan Reyes cover. Now, I don't give a shit about the uh, Ivan Reyes cover thing. I mean, that's fine. That's fun. But that is not what we are. Um, that is not what we're really interested in here. And by the 5,000 extra books, that's cool, too. How do you think having the books available a month after comic stores get them? How does that change the calculus? for for comic readers i mean trying to like put myself in the mindset of somebody who's doing like the weekly grind still of like buying buying a lot of comics um oh yeah dc made the statement or had the rationale that like the majority of print sales happen in the first 30 days of it going you know on the shelves which Mm -hmm. which makes sense you know absolutely the people who are reading as it's coming out and collecting this probably won't affect them that much um they're probably still going to keep buying the books that they were buying they may read more books this way because they have access to them but where the what this really helps is I think the people who are who are a like don't the people who are already primary primarily buying digital anyway. Mm-hmm. This is a this is like a no brainer I think, um, especially with like how ephemeral digital media is these days. Like, if you are buying more than twenty five comics a year, you should just do this. <laughs> you know, probably. <laughs> I mean, if you're buying 25 comics a year, you're spending way more than a hundred dollars already. Well, I mean, I, I mean, like issues. I should have said like 25 issues a year. No, but still, I mean, if you know, at five bucks an issue, I guess well, most are four. I guess four, yeah. Okay, yeah, most are still four. Yeah. All right, I guess that's fair. Um, yeah, uh, it, it's like kind of a no-brainer to just do this and 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 read them this way, and and I think it just cuts out a lot of the headache. It it's just very convenient. If I if I wasn't doing the podcast, this is this is something I would be very interested in, I think, just just to have. And it, it's um it's even a big step up over what Marvel offers, which I think is three months. Three months, yeah. Um and this just feels like stepping closer and closer towards just pure equity between print and digital in terms of the, you know, do you remember like when DC first started putting books on comiXology, they came out a month after print release, like at the very beginning. And then it took a little while to get, to get day and date. Well, the new 52 was the start of day and date, I believe it was. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it was, um, but, um, I feel like we're going to get there eventually. And I, I, I don't think, I don't think it will be like the death of the print industry. Like everybody thinks it is. I think when, and if it happens, maybe the print industry will like already be dead because of whatever (laughs) is going on at, you know, at Warner Brothers and with Disney, you know, however, however, like their vision for comics are in like the next 10 years. But 
Combine uh, that with the, the we've the last couple of years we've seen supply chain issues get oh worse, yeah you know so oh yeah like ever since you know I still do buy some some Marvel books in print and like ever since they like moved over to like Penguin as their distributor it's been it's still kind of a shit show in terms of like when books show up and if they're damaged and and uh yeah I. It's just kind of a no-brainer, I think. Vince, is this a big deal for you? Um, well, I don't. I mean, for for me personally, I'm a sicko that always needed to. I always needed to have, uh, the book day and date. You know, um. So even waiting the month because I'm sick in the head uh, probably wouldn't work for me. Um, that said, I already know people in real life that this is exciting for. Um, so, you know, I, I think I think it's great for them. And I think, you know, we're we're like uh, we're like Dr. Manhattan or something. We're these detached consciousnesses. <laughs> <laughs> uh on mars where you know we've we see we already know what happens in the books before they even come out so correct yes <laughs> yep exactly so so it's it's really hard to say but but i will say that um you know like i said i have friends that that are excited about this so so that's good yeah i, I I mean, I think this is a big deal in general. I could see a lot of my friends who are casual comic readers who probably do spend a hundred bucks on DC comics throughout the course of a year saying like, oh, this is this is this is no brainer. This is a no brainer whatsoever. Got to jump on this. You know, I do see the I do see the side of this that is further removing the idea of ownership the way that streaming services do, you know, like I, I, it is a bit of a bummer that you're paying a hundred bucks. And if DC decides for whatever reason, that animal man is no longer going to stay on there, you just don't get to read animal man anymore. Like it's not throwing away the print copies, but you understand what I'm saying? Like, I, I think that is, Oh yeah. That is Zaslav is going to show up tomorrow and he's going to say, uh, actually we sold anything that has anything to do with vertigo to, so-and-so right yeah 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 that that does suck um but i think my my view on that is that like for those things that are like really important to you or that you want to have access to all the time like unfettered and are special like you should still probably buy those in print preferably in like a nice hardcover and just keep that on your shelf i think weekly floppy comics even though i know they are not treated this way by the majority of the people who collect them are like inherently kind of disposable things like they, in in their at their onset they were meant to be disposable yes and the cost of making them has not permitted them to remain that way like they they are collectors items and the and the price kind of like reflects that this i think kind of gets back to that 
semi now i don't want to call these stories disposable that's not what i mean but the format in a way is kind of disposable and that that ownership isn't really necessary like you read the story one time usually and like you might you might revisit it but and this helps in revisiting it as long as it's available but like in terms of like ownership and retaining ownership and and being able to come back to that I think that there are other formats that suit that sort of mindset better anyway than floppies. That's me personally. I almost never go back and reread floppies because it's, I think it's a terrible format. Um, I wouldn't say it's a terrible format. I'm not going to be a, a, I mean, I mean for like revisiting, I think I, because it's like, you got to go through your long box and pull out the individual issues and pull them out of their bags and boards. And it's just not a convenient way to reread stories in my opinion. Sure, I, I guess I can I can buy that. Um, yeah, it's much easier to like curl up with a you know a nice hardcover or softcover collection and go through a whole story in one sitting without having to you know yeah yeah go into the archives. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean the way I think about it, I I tend to talk about this the way I talk about music right where I, I gladly pay my Spotify however much it is a month to get access to the you know, the, the, the world of music that I could never afford to have on my shelf, you know, in front of me. However, any record that really moves me, I try to buy Mm -hmm. because I want, I don't, I don't want to have my enjoyment of this music, uh, fettered by somebody else's decisions about, you know, rights or whatever the case may be. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm still buying, you know, three or four new records a month, because those are the ones that really speak to me. And I, I could see myself eventually moving into a place where I'm doing that with comics. I, I think that I, you know, we've been asked a lot of times on our Patreon show and all that, sort of our relationship with buying comics at this point in our lives. And I feel like for me, so many times, comics is just something that I do. I forget the comics that I enjoy sometimes. But there are certainly like, you know, I I am looking to, I have not bought it yet, but I do want to get the Deathstroke Omnibus, you know, the Christopher Priest one. I have my who's who on the bus that I love. You know, I have my Starman on the buy. Like that is a great format for comics that you love. And I feel like we have to just get used to the idea of there's a difference between reading comics and owning comics. Mm -hmm. And I think for a long time, we have associated those two things as being the same. And we have to recognize they're not the same. Yeah, I, I could totally see a world where we eventually just get to like comics release weekly on a digital platform like this that you, you pay a subscription fee for, and then they get collected in, in trades that you buy in stores. Right. The single issue going away. Yeah. I could also see, I think we've talked about this before too. I could see something like dark crisis still coming out in singles, right? Like big event things still being a reason to get folks to go to a comic shop every week. I could see this is just me. I just thought of this right now, but so you tell me if it's a bullshit idea, I could see there being just the variant. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. 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 I could see that too. Just turning physical comics into just the ultra collectible. Yes. Yeah. Think about all the bullshit. Uh, that nerds buy at like. Listen, listen to this. Go, go for it. I was in uh, my local comic shop recently. There was a guy in there 
who oh, I like where this is going was asked essentially I haven't looked this up to see but apparently for Spawn versus Batman there is a like one to 1000 variant cover yes and you can get it by all essentially if you order ordering some of those smaller variant counts so like one to two fifties will contribute to it so he was basically like asking the store if they would order a thousand issues of spawn versus batman so that he could get he was essentially going to pay for 1,000 issues of Spawn versus Batman so he could get the Sick. Todd McFarlane. That is uh, the sucks thing I've ever read. I've ever heard. <laughs> that is that is fucked up, man. That's God, too fucked McFarlane up. McFarlane fans raw. are, yeah, that is too raw. Yeah. Todd McFarlane fans are something else. Cool. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, continue your thought, Vince. Oh, I was just going to say think of all the awful, expensive. Uh, crap that nerds buy from like loot boxes. Yeah. Oh, terrible. It 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 makes my ass pucker just uh thinking about it. But um they would, you know, like if 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 we're gonna mourn the loss of like comics as a collectible, why not have your cake and eat it too by going digital, having this, you know, relatively cheap uh operation on that end and then making the variant the the main physical thing that the sickos can all go to the store every week and pay out the nose for well i feel Um, like dc has already been moving towards that because they have their higher price variant copies that are on the nicer like cardstock uh-huh that are like a dollar more than the normal comic yeah and that's on top of like you know the the incentive variants that stores usually mark up anyway um like the one in 25 one in 50 you know whatever um yeah i think just do it make make the variant the the thing or print comics become variants yeah anyway like it's all it's all variants because that's all i don't want to say that's like all the print market is now but I, i feel like it's a big driving force and it is and and stores have already had to move into the like collectibles sector anyway yep well, so okay. why so can i tell you guys a story i've never told publicly before oh boy <laughs> at least your your real name is dick whitman yes exactly yes i killed the man in korea um at least once a month i look at an email from somebody saying I have been searching eBay for six weeks now. I cannot find your variant cover of insert comic title here. And I have to email them and say, you saw the word exclusive in the title, but we meant we are revealing a cover. We are revealing the cover (laughs) to Spider-Man number four exclusively. (laughs) We are not a comic shop selling an exclusive variant. It doesn't exist. That's why you can't find it. You fucking moron. <laughs> I, 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 usually, I usually don't say you fucking moron, but I say something similar to that because they're clearly not reading. These people are just their entire their entire world is built around these variants and they think they have stumbled on the most exclusive variant of all time, the multiversity variant of something. <laughs> and it doesn't fucking exist because we don't give a shit about that. Like, that's just not that is not at all. 
I mean, first of all, we can't we're, we're not a comic shop, right? But beyond that, like that is just so anathema to why I care about comics. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's just it's just very, very funny that at least once a month this happens. That is yeah. wild. That's, I didn't know that. That is insane. Yeah, and I mean, like, I I have enjoyed variants from from time to time. You know, like Peach Momoko does oh, God, yeah. really great yeah, Marvel they're beautiful, variants. Of course. They're yeah. they're incredible. And if I see it on the shelf, like uh, that's available for like a book I'm already gonna buy, it's like, yeah, I'm gonna buy the, the Momoko variant because why not? Um but that's also you're buying that because it looks cool. Yeah. You, yeah. you are not buying it because you're going to put it, you're going to get it CGC graded and try and sell it for a hundred dollars at a convention. Sure. Yeah. Well, he might. So he, he might. He <laughs> I've, no, I've never CGC graded anything. <laughs> but the, you know, the, it's... The, the one problem with my, my, my proposal is that, you know, a good deal of like physical printing is that, the more you do in bulk, the cheaper it is. So yes, there is something to, if you're only mass producing variants, they might inherently be more expensive, but sickles will pay more. They don't care about that. Probably. Yeah. yeah I, I feel like you could, you could both raise the price of the floppy in this way and have even more expensive variants on top of that. You know what I mean? Like you can make like the base, ideas. you can make like the base price of just like the, the initial cover, like, the the i mean the the print cover is the variant and it costs like six dollars mm-hmm. and then you have like the higher tiers of variants that and they, they could just put it on the cover you know it doesn't even have to be this kind of like black market thing where like you know a store gets a one in 100 variant and they mark it up to like you know whatever 50 bucks like it could just be 50 buck cover price That's actually a really interesting question. I had or really good idea. I hadn't thought about that. Just because then it's it almost it like is. it's more like prints. You know what I mean? Or like you're selling art on the cover of a comic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I don't know. People will buy that, I think, and that's <laughs> you want to keep print alive. That might be the way to do it. <laughs> I mean, so again, just talking about records for a minute here. You know, I. I don't really care about colored vinyl. I know some people really do. To me, vinyl sounds like vinyl. It's fine. Whatever. But I was at a store on Record Store Day, and there was some record coming out. There were like four different colors of vinyl. Oh, Taylor Swift's Midnights? Yeah. I know it wasn't that. It was, oh, but, but Carly Rae Jepsen's uh, the, Lonely, the Loneliest Time? I don't believe so. Okay. This was a couple of years ago now. So oh. it, it wasn't <laughs> right. like the most recent Record Store Day. Um but uh, somebody came into the store and said, I will take all of them. Like, oh, you want all four? He's like, no, I'm going to take all of them. And like wanted to buy like 20 copies of each colored vinyl because they were going to, I guess, try and flip them or whatever. And you know that happens with variants every single day in comic shops. Like people just it's not about reading the comics or listening to the record. It's about doing it's about having the. The investment, it's about the speculation of it. You know, the reason Bad Idea Comics exists is because there are people like this out there. Um, and I don't see that going away anytime soon at all. So, Vince, I think that your your idea is actually a relatively prescient one. Oh, thanks. So, I don't know what that I, word I means, I, but... I, and I like it because it finally separates the, like, speculator market from the the market that just wants to read comics, you know? 
Yeah. Yeah. We should build a wall. We should, honestly. <laughs> and uh, and uh, Alan and, Moore and will stand on us. top of it and look down and we'll shout save us and he'll he'll shout he'll 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 shout back no. <laughs> yeah. He'll shout abracadabra. <laughs> it's like Oh. Was that all the news? That was all the news that took the print. Yes. Ah. (laughs) And I'm Chevy Chase and you're not. There was some there was some, uh, you know, TV stuff that we don't care about. Oh, yeah. And and there's a book coming out called Multiversity, Harley Quinn, something, something. But, you know, yeah, you you get that. Morrison's not writing it, so it doesn't count. It's Frank Thierry. So it doesn't (laughs) count. Anyway, we're going to take a break and we'll be back to talk about the books for this week in just a minute. So stay tuned. Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at MultiversityComics.com. Each week we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commanding. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinbro, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe Subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. We are here to talk about the comics coming out on October 11th, 2022, starting with Batman Incorporated number one, written by Ed Brisson, illustrated by John Timms. Vincy, you were pretty down on this book before it was uh, before it was released, just on the announcement, the creative team, etc. So I'm curious what you thought of this first issue. Uh, <laughs> um so I like the idea of Batman Inc. I even like the idea of a post Morrison Batman Inc. I even like the idea of a Batman Inc. with Ghostmaker as its de facto leader. Uh and I think the book does a good enough job of making it feel like a, a like a globe trotting adventure that would be befitting of the title. Like I think there is a concerted effort to do lots of world hopping in this and jet setting and whatever you want to say. That said, the plot of it is all rooted in the stuff from Ghostmaker's past, um, possibly with Bruce as well. Uh, you'll remember in, I think it, I can't remember if it was Batman or Detective, but um, it, it was, was Batman. Batman. It, it was Batman. Okay, yeah, because it references it in this issue. So oh, it the, does. Yeah. yeah, the the knife master that Bruce learned like knife combat from shows up in this and. I got to be honest, I don't care about any of that stuff. Um, I think it's, you know, while the settings are good in this, I think the reason for hopping around to these different settings is um, fairly underwhelming and boring to me. Uh, That said, I'm more interested in this than I thought I would be. Um, Just, you know, no offense to, to Ed Brisson. It's just that I've never read something from Brisson that I was like, really crazy about 
Um, and th this is probably going to be the same thing, but, but I'm at least interested in sticking it out for a couple more issues. And I, I honestly didn't think I would be. So that's where I'm at. Zach, how about you? Um, yeah, I, I'm not like super, um, pumped that this first issue is so heavily rooted in like more of the ghost maker Batman secret history stuff, because I, I think Tynion explored that, you know, well enough in, in sufficient possibly detail too and, much. <laughs> and possibly too much in Batman. And so like, we don't need more of that, but that said, like, I think their writing was good. I think the artwork was really good. And the thing that I think is maybe the most interesting about the book that kind of sets it apart from the original incarnation of Batman Inc. is this actually feels like a team book in the way that I don't think Morrison's Batman Inc. ever did. It's funny what both of you said, because I wrote down both of the things you said, essentially. I wrote down that I don't really care about the more of the secret history stuff, but also this feels like way more of a team book. So uh, we are in lockstep <laughs> again with this stuff. Um, but I, I think there is some good stuff going on here. I I feel like at the end of this first issue, we have a pretty good sense of who these various members of Batman Inc. are, even if we haven't seen them in a long time, or maybe for some people, these are new characters. Like I feel like each character gets a little moment of their own. And for the most part, all those moments work. And and that's a really nice thing that Brisson does, which I feel like, and, and again, this is not comparing. I, I don't, I don't want us to spend too much on comparing this to Morrison's version of this. Cause it's just a very, very different book, but I feel like Morrison's book was always about how the various members of Batman Inc related to Batman and this feels more like a book about the Batman Inc. members. If that makes yes. if yeah. that distinction makes sense. Yeah, but the original Batman Inc. was more so just a Bruce vehicle under the trappings of a kind of like more internationally focused story. Yes. It, it was still the culmination of Morrison's bat Bruce, specifically Bruce story, I think. Um, and really his Damien story too. There, sorry, their Damien story. Um, and this is in some ways, you know, I would have said maybe at one point that I never wanted to see a, a Batman Inc. incarnation without Morrison, or at least probably <laughs> probably not with Ed Brisson necessarily. That's not the name that I would pick for it, but I think Brisson does a good job in this opening issue of, you know, kind of establishing all these characters voices. Like, like you said, Brian, and um, uh, I, I am interested to see more of that. I, I definitely think that there's potential for like a lot of inter team drama already maybe potentially see some splintering with um the native american batman i forget his name man of bats man of bats yeah yeah with with man of bats and ghost el gaucho uh, el gaucho seems seems like trying to take over the team in a certain way too that maybe that's who i'm thinking of I was was yes it was el gaucho and it was the i think man of bats like um apprentice who was with him in that 
weren't they together at one point in the issue? Maybe that's what I was thinking of. You're getting the Scooby-Doo team up mixed with this book, probably. From maybe. Probably. <laughs> yes, maybe. <laughs> um, I, I, I really, I meant to go back and look because I know a lot of the characters who are in these identities are, you know, not the ones who were on the team during the Morrison era. Specifically, I think maybe like, I'm not sure about who Darkwing is currently or who the uh, kind of like Rocketeer type character is mm. under the mask. Not to mention Knight and Squire. Right, but right. That, I feel like that has that, been addressed. Yeah, that's been established. Yeah, I can't remember what book that that happened in. Do you? Do you guys remember the? <gasps> when it was that Knight died, um, and and Squire became Knight. That <sighs> was that in Batman Inc. The original? No, I don't. More recently so. than I think. Yes. That that's a story that I'm excited to see progress, and I'm I, I like how Squire now Knight is used in this book. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I think that I think that all of the supporting characters are used pretty well here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, They're... I like I like how Jiro is kind of like trying to form his own identity, specifically citing the like Batman of China. Yes. <laughs> uh, um, and yeah, I'm I'm surprised at how much character these essentially faceless characters have. Yeah. That's why I liked this as much as I did. Uh that said, I don't know if I ever need another story that is about someone's mentor being killed. Yeah. <laughs> specifically a Batman mentor being killed. As I feel like we've gotten the same story yeah. a dozen times now. So they're in they're inventing fake mentors just to kill them. Exactly. And the other thing that I think is is problematic with this, and I, I don't mean problematic in like a uh morally problematic, I mean from a storytelling perspective, is that we're supposed to believe that Batman Inc. is this elite team of vigilantes, and yet the the ones that we see going out there against the or rather going out there to protect the mentors that are still alive, all of them get their asses handed to them in like one second. <laughs> and so it somewhat undercuts how good and important these characters are if they can't hold their own for five minutes against these mentors so i think it somewhat undermines the abilities of the of 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 the team mm -hmm. uh, we talking about john tims though and his art yeah um oh it was really quick it was batman inc um wait it was Batman Inc. where Knight died. Really? Wow. It seems like it was sooner than that. Yeah, it was the New 52 Batman Inc. number six. Hmm. He was killed by the heretic. Oh, there you go. Um, but but interestingly, apparently Knight or Squire didn't first 
uh, didn't appear as Knight until it looks like the Rebirth Batwoman series. Ah, uh, yes, 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 yep. Um. Okay, so John Tim's art. Um, I mean, it's predictably good. Definitely. I think I prefer his style in the Superman Son of Kal-El tone, you know, like I think I think Tim's is it's not it's not that his art is any better or worse in this comic. It's just that I think I prefer to see it in a lighter, brighter setting. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. Nothing against the 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 line work at all. It looks great. Um, I just think I think it looks more conventional. I mean, I get I guess to his credit, or to the credit of whoever put together this book, it reminds me a lot of Jorge Jimenez on Batman. Like this looks like it's from that exact period. And so it's fitting because this is essentially a a ghost maker extension of the Tynion run that kind of bore all this out. Um, so for continuity's sake, it does a good job. But I just think my preference is something a little brighter, like uh, Young Justice or or Superman. I think that's a fair criticism of the, of the title. I, I happen to th- like one of the things that and we're going to sound like the thing we always make fun of here for a second. But one of the things I did want to talk about was how I think Tim's does a really nice job of working with the costumes of the different members here, because all the costumes are, are somewhat are somewhat similar. I mean, obviously, El Gaucho looks nothing like Jiro or whatever, but a lot of the costumes do have similar attributes. And I think in a lesser artist's hands, you wouldn't get you wouldn't get as much personality or character from each of these people visually unless you are, um, you know, without the attention to detail that I think Tim's brings to this. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I could be wrong. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Um, I think that's a good observation and probably one that I don't, didn't appreciate enough. But I think I think it's certainly right. I think we've seen. I think we've seen similar situations with team books where uh, that wasn't the case. So. Zach, what do you think of John, John Tim's art? Oh, I thought it was really good. I, I do agree that it I, I favor it in like a more, uh, I guess, like super heroic setting like uh a super book or young justice, but it's still quite good here. I can't fault it really. Yeah. I, and I think what Vince said is, is very true. I think that Tim's art is so dynamic in an act. There, there's that, there's that action sequence where that car is racing around mm-hmm. and Tim's is just so good at doing big action. And for a book that it, that doesn't have a ton of that, it can feel a little bit like his art is maybe wasted on stuff that's a little bit more, you know, 
meticulously paced, which some of this stuff definitely is. But that that's no knock on the line art. That's a knock on maybe the assignment. Uh, but I, I thought this was far better than I expected it to be. And I'm glad that it is. Um, I'm glad that, that we all feel like there is something here because there is nothing worse in comics or in media in general when you're excited about a concept and the current iteration of it doesn't doesn't impress you at all. Cough, can, Legion, cough. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so the fact that we all found something to enjoy here and that we think that there is a, a potentially good future for this book is a nice thing. That said, does this last more than 12 issues? Um, I could see it lasting 18. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as usual, I fall somewhere in between you two. 15. 15? Okay. All right. That works. We'll check back in on this in... Uh, 12 to 18 months and see who wins the coke or whatever and by that I do mean cocaine <laughs> alright up that's next. where the patreon money has been going exactly Just right up our noses patreon.com slash ec3cast help keep us in booger sugar <laughs> um, <laughs> up next is Batman versus Robin number 2 written by Mark Wade and illustrated by Mahmoud Asrar I, I want to start on this one because I I, I I did not love this issue in the way that I have loved the first issue or other stuff that Wade has done since coming back to DC. And I'm not saying it's a bad issue by any stretch, but this issue particularly feels more recappy and more like catching the reader up on stuff that we've gotten from almost every DC event over the last decade. And we have bemoaned when it's happened in in those in those books we really don't learn a ton from this issue in terms of moving the plot forward and we're getting some stuff that seems like specifically designed for if you didn't read world's finest now you or, understand or robin or robin yeah now yeah. you better understand what's going on here and like i said that's not like intrinsically a bad thing but it certainly isn't what I think we've come to expect from Wade who tends to use, who tends to deliver that information in a little bit more of a um, smoke and mirrors way where you don't feel like you're reading so much exposition and recap, whereas this felt a little bit heavy on that to me. Yeah. Yeah. I felt the same. Um, I think the book was enjoyable enough Um on the merits of kind of the like DC, you know, three continuity catnip stuff. Uh, all the, all of the like um, house of mystery, house of secrets stuff. Uh, but yeah, it was very much like a catching you up kind of issue really all stuff for people who hadn't read specifically the two things that we mentioned before. And, you know, that's fine. I think like putting it all in one issue rather than teasing it all out. Like I'm glad that the mystery of what is going on with Damien was not drug out until like issue three or four, you know, okay, now we know right. that he is 
possessed by Neja and and like that that's fine like that's all we needed to know we don't need more of that um so i'm happy for that and thankful for that uh but yeah was this my favorite issue of anything that wade has done so far no definitely not the art was still really good though vincy what'd you think of this yeah um similar thoughts on that stuff as you guys um i'm sure you can probably listen to a previous episode of this show and pull out a sentence where i contradict myself on this point uh but i feel like it would have been like this is where you do batman versus robin issue zero and you put that stuff in there and then you tell the story in issues one and two, right? Right. Like if the purpose of this is to catch you up and make sure you caught all that stuff that you may or may not have been reading, like do an issue zero or something. Um, but I don't know. I mean, then we'd end up reading that anyway and calling it a recap. Sure. Then. But, but at least it would exist with a, with a consistent purpose of what those issues are supposed to be aiming for. Um, that said, all the stuff that wasn't recap, I really liked the stuff in the beginning with, uh, Jinx and Tanarak trying to steal the mystical, uh, artifacts and the various other, the, there's the part where, uh, Zor and Clarion are peeling the, the suit off of Ragman's body and it's like peeling skin off. It's yeah. really disgusting in concept and. All that stuff is your typical Wade uh, playfulness with the lore at DC that we've come to expect. And so, you know, even though this issue wasn't as packed full of that stuff, uh, trading off to do recap, like there was still plenty of it in here. Um, you guys already mentioned the House of Secrets, House of Mystery stuff, the Witching Hour. All that stuff is really fun. Um in particular, it teases my mind at, as to where, again, you know, Zach alluded to this on, I think, last week's episode when we talked about the dark green stuff from Dark Crisis or the the deep, the dark, the dark green, the deadly green. green. Right. The deadly, deadly, oh, the you, deadly green. I would have definitely believed you and not. <laughs> than I, yeah. I, I, I fucked it up while looking at the cover last week, so don't feel bad about that. Okay. Anyway, Zach kind of alluded to it there, but like, he was talking about what a post dark crisis uh, multiverse might mean for Constantine, right? Well, what if, what if it, what if this is somehow a little bit tied to that? What if all of a sudden, because we're playing around with uh, some of these old DC fantasy horror titles, that those are all part of some vertigo adjacent world in the multiverse or something like that you know uh or it could be nothing it could just be wade having fun in this issue and and either way it's good but um it it does tease your mind in that way that 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 uh, shared continuity comic should i think and of um, course wade also drops in some some dc3 nip by having the batman 666 costume Oh God, we didn't even talk about that. Yeah, given to Damien, no. like that's that's a pretty great moment. 
That was so cool. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he looks like a baby in it. I love that too. Like this is not the man he will become. He looks like a little kid dressing up. It, it's too big for him, etc. But I think that's a great decision by Asrar to show sort of, you know, what is to come. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I like that it wasn't just Damien puts on the costume and then he looks basically like the one from the Morrison, you know, yeah. that, that 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 is still decades off or whatever, however long it's supposed to be. Yeah. Uh, we, we also didn't talk about the last page, which shows Alfred walking with fire behind him, and it looks like his shadow is creating... Would you say that fire is walking with him? Uh, I would not say that, um, because that gum you like is not back in style. <laughs> do they do they drink deep from the Lazarus pit and descend? <laughs> but what I was going to say is his shadow looks very much like Neja, and so we're getting the impression here that Alfred is not actually back. That this is some sort of, uh, you know, trick being played on Bruce by Neja, which seems like it should have been obvious from the beginning. But, you know, it, it, it certainly makes for a good comic to tell that story. But I will I will never not be bummed out that Tom King actually killed Alfred. <laughs> yeah. Although um, this could actually be Alfred and he could be possessed by Nesha. Well, that is I, also a possibility. Or I was going to say that Nesha actually brought him back. Yeah, right. You know, uh, so I, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen here. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to give the impression this is a bad issue because it certainly isn't a bad issue. It just felt like one of the lesser weighed issues that we've gotten since his return. Yeah. And we're we're very spoiled by Wade, so it shouldn't be a surprise that uh, that we'll occasionally I don't want to say be disappointed by him, but he not every issue can be like a perfect a perfect superhero comic, you know. Yeah, and I mean I think it does do credit to this story that I I do think that DC might be trying to get into like evergreen status in a way to like explain some of this stuff. I think the story will read. It maybe wasn't handled in like the cleanest way, but I, I do think that like this is information that people need to have. And yeah, it probably should have been a, a zero issue or something like that, but we still got some good stuff out of it. Like, you know, like all of the, all the spooky stuff, the like Bruce and Alfred banter was, you know, nice. It was nice to just see them together and, uh, we did get some new information out of it, like that Neja is whatever turned Neja into what he is, is also the source of the origin of the Lazarus pits. Mm-hmm. I think that's new information. Mm-hmm. And um, I do think eventually Wade is probably going to come back to that like Chinese super team from you know hundreds of years ago that that they it it seems like maybe there's more to that and whoever was Neja's father and all all of that stuff unless maybe that stuff was explored in world's finest and i've already forgotten it but i i feel like we might get more of that eventually 
uh, which is interesting. Yeah, all of this is again, it, it's fine. Um, I really think that if if it wasn't Wade, we might not even have blinked an eye at this. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if I should hand it to Azra or not for making Mother Soul nice with it. Um, <laughs> can't I can't decide what the verdict is on that. I, I think you hand it to him. You, you hand it to him, okay? I think you hand it to him. Yeah. Any other comments on this issue? Nope. All right. Well, let's take a break and we'll return with our final book of the week after this. Hello. We're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on MultiversityComics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. And we are back with our final book of the week, which sadly is not the Batman Scooby-Doo Mysteries, much to Vince's chagrin. It is instead Dark Crisis, World Without Justice League, Green Arrow, number one. The main story of which is written by Stephanie Phillips and illustrated by Clayton Henry. I also wanted to say that there is a, a backup in this, which is also a Green Arrow Black Canary story, which is written by Dennis Culver, illustrated by Nick Varela. And the reason I'm saying that up front is... It's this is a very strangely put together comic. Yeah. In a way, it would have made way more sense to begin with the second story and have that lead into the first story instead of the way we got it. But, you know, it, I guess it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, I mean, no, you're absolutely right. I had the same thought. I, reading them both back to back, you, you can figure it out like immediately. Um, it's it's not confusing really it's just that the second story literally explains the entire premise of of the this world right, right. there's nothing confusing in the first story yeah at all it, right right you you read the first story and they're like oh okay but then you read the second story and all of a sudden there's context where it's like ah so you didn't even know you were confused you know right exactly <laughs> you yes. know what i mean like yeah. And the other thing is, I, I get maybe they structured it this way because the first issue is very much the heart of what this world would mean. Whereas the second is like the sort of stuffy canon explanation for the world where, you know, so if they want to lead with the heart, I get it. Um, But I, I had the same thought, Brian. So, yeah. Zach, what'd you think of this? Well, I forgot that I read it, so <laughs> that good. Yeah. Um, it was fine. I I almost thought that like based on the premise, it would have made more sense to like do make it almost like an anthology and have more stories, you know what I mean? That that would have been fun because this is the this is the one of these books that feels like 
if that was the case, each story would be vastly different than the other. Mm-hmm. Sorry. So go just ahead. having like the two, essentially like two worlds for each of them, uh, felt really weird. And and also like the ones that were chosen were very uninspired. Like just having Oliver's world be a straight up Robin Hood ripoff is. I mean, it's fine, but it's just the lowest hanging fruit imaginable, you know, whereas some of these other ones have been very, like, much more creative, i.e. the the Martian Manhunter one. Right. Well, not only that, but, like, this one just, it essentially takes all the characters you'd expect. It does, like, the Aquaman story took a lot of the characters from the Aquaman mythos and put them in this, like, new setting. This takes all the Green Arrow characters, but doesn't put them in a new setting at all. It's just like this is essentially just a Green Arrow story with slightly more uh, Robin Hood twists. But those things are always I mean, fuck, there was at least two series where Green Lantern was based out of a uh, was based out of a A forest. forest. Yeah. So like, you know, this isn't that unusual. You know what else isn't unusual to to be in love with anyone that you just <laughs> met five minutes ago. <laughs> That's true. Uh, I mean, I think that, the, you know, no, I, I know what the point was. Yeah, no, it, it's good. I mean, I, I think that the, the heart of this, like Vincent said, that the first story is all the heart and, you know, we don't get enough stories with these two characters together. Cause I do think that their romance is relatively unique in the DC universe. You know, I mean, I guess if I Ollie guess, had peered out of his shift ship and put his hand on the window and it said not Dinah's boat, I would, you know, I would have. <laughs> of course, of course. Um, but uh, this was I, I thought this was I there was good in both of these stories. I just feel like this is exactly like if, you, if you had to guess what would the world green arrow would can recreate for himself. Like. You know, this would obviously be it. It just it just wasn't very inspired, is my my critique of it. Any yeah. notes on Clayton Henry's art? Uh not I mean it's typical Clayton Henry, which is which yeah. which in my mind is just solid. It's perfectly crumpulent. Perfectly crumpulent comic booking. Uh pretty much has become a mainstay at DC in one way or another here. Not, not in any of the top tier books, but, but this he's constantly popping up and he did that Walmart thing with, uh, Gail Simone. And that yes. was a really, that was a really fun story and it looked good. And I think that is about, I don't mean this as a pejorative at all, but like featured Walmart story is like, the perfect spot for that kind of art you know it's accessible it's it looks good to anybody who you know casually is flipping through um but it's not knocking your socks off like the top top tier stuff at dc i think i know you said that wasn't meant pejoratively without that's kind of a pejorative statement i'm sorry i don't i don't mean it Um, that way you know what i mean it's very i I do know what you mean it's very pleasing and accessible I think Clayton Henry is better than that, but I understand your position. Okay. Sorry, Clayton. You're your target level. 
Wow. Well, first of all, Target is far superior to Walmart. Everyone knows that. That's, that's what I'm saying. That's, that's what he's what, saying. That's yeah. that is what I'm saying. Yeah. I I would say that it, he's like um, Bed Bath and Beyond. I was gonna say like a gourmet supermarket, like a, oh. a Whole Foods or a Stu Leonard's, you know, someplace like that. Okay, yeah, all right, yeah. All right. yeah. I'll go there with you. Okay. He 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 has a really good hot bar within him. <laughs> Whatever uh, that means. Whatever that means. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the the second half of this story, like I like we were saying before, you know, sort of gets into the why of of why this is happening. Any notes on this part of the story? Um, just that I think it is the one thing, and I've, I've mentioned this ad nauseum, I think when we talk about these books, every book, uh, introduces a new wrinkle to how we think the pariah stuff works or what we think he's up to. And rather than following a formula, you know, and I think this book does the same thing that none of the other world without justice league books operated this way right and that includes like this realization that pariah has literally like black canary is like screaming it at him (laughs) that that these two because of their relationship need to share one earth and and again it just throws this little curveball in what we thought we knew about these worlds and it's just enough to make it fresh and interesting, even though this is like the sixth or seventh one of these that we've read or whatever it is. Yeah. And I appreciated that. Yeah. Although I feel like it is pretty safe to say now from where we are in, in Dark Crisis that these don't matter. <laughs> no, they don't. No, they certainly do not matter. Correct. Um, in fact, it's shocking how little they how quickly they were resolved and how little they matter yeah um that said because of their uniqueness from one another i think they were more worthwhile tie-ins than like let's say the infected stuff from around uh snyder's justice league time um they were more enjoyable to read even if they even if they did not matter at all (laughs) Uh, my one critique of this versus sort of the the other ones in this in this line or in this you know whatever calling these these event books whatever it is is I just feel like there do we get we didn't get a story with every member of the Justice League did we we didn't get a name when we store it, but she wasn't part of the ones who died. That's right. No, um, but, but wasn't Zatanna part of the one? Did we get a Zatanna story? I can't Zatanna remember. Zatanna did die, I think. I don't think we got a Zatanna story, though. No. But, well, but, Zatanna's needed in Batman v. Robin. So Yeah. But m- m- my point is just that I feel like there's... um. Wait, is, the, is she the backup? She might be the backup in the Batman one, though. Oh, maybe. Mm. I was, was just going to say, I feel like they could have put another hero. We could have got another story from a different hero here instead of two of the same stories. That was my point. I I cannot be arsed to look it up, but Mm -hmm. I, uh, I think it, I think Zatanna is the backup. I'm just going to say that. I believe you. Are we, are we missing anybody then? Or is that everybody? I think that will be everybody then. Okay. Well, then I, then I feel better about all of this. 
because I just felt like if we're missing a character story to get just a second Green Arrow Black Canary story, that's a little bit lame. Mm-hmm. Although, again, and this is you're, like I, I do agree with your point in, in theory, but I think if any of these stories were to reuse a premise or, or reuse a, a hero of focus, um, just by the virtue of the way that this one works with the kind of anthology setting, uh, it does make the most sense. Like, yes, I'll agree with that. But I will also say that I think that this could have been combined into one story pretty easily. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It could have been a full sized. Yeah, for sure. They could have spent even less time in the Robin Hood. That is an I think that they should have split the page length a little more evenly, maybe. Yeah. I mean, I even think if you had done it, I thought at first with the second half of the book that it was going to be like not double page spreads, but left side of the comic is Black Canary, right side is Green Arrow. Mm-hmm. And if they had done a the whole the, issue, yeah, if they had done the whole issue that way, that would have been a fun, different type of story to, to tell. Just playing with convention a little bit. Yeah, even it if it's probably it been very cool annoying. To have maybe like two or three different worlds being told each way and every you know like 10 or so pages they get too close to each other and the story resets yeah and then you do that like two or three times and then we get the resolution that we get in the backup i think i think that would have been a really cool both use of like the the comic format like just imagine like the left page is always the green lantern story and the or green arrow story and the right page is the black canary story and right that would that would have been a really unique way. I'm not, you know, we're not comic writers. I'm not trying to tell these these people how to do their jobs, but that that's maybe that's how I would have done it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean that's yeah, that's, a, that's exactly the point. So yeah, we're all in agreement on this again. Yeah. So I before we're done here, I'd like to pose you guys a question from sure. this. Sure. And I Tell me if I'm reading way too into this. I'm not actually I'm not even reading. I'm not even making a conclusion one way or another about this. Um, but it's more a thought I had while I was reading it. And I wonder if there's any merit to it. Another thing that these books have been doing is they've been kind of in a timely manner, sort of dropping hints about where things are going or where certain aspects of Dark Crisis are going to end up. Um I'm thinking about like how the Superman book eventually ended up the, the worlds without a justice league Superman uh, ended up being seen in dark crisis again, when they go to rescue Superman from, from it. Um, There's some things that pariah does in a couple of these issues that are kind of give more context to what's going on in, in dark crisis a little bit. There's a key moment in the end of this issue about how doomsday is coming and destroying these worlds. Right. So I, I think I have the answer to that and I think okay. it's unsatisfying. Okay. Well, wait um, on me. I'd have to go back and double check, but I'm pretty sure doomsday is who killed green arrow in the death of the justice league issue. Okay. So that's all he it like is. beat him okay. to a bloody pulp. I'm pretty sure. Got it. Okay. I okay. may be wrong. 
but I like I like where your head's at, but I'm, I think that's what it was getting at. Okay, okay, that's fair. Yeah, my my head was gonna just to just to round out my thought was making me think, what if you know we've all been waiting for like the the bigger threat or the more serious threat or you know if pariah is not the big big bad what is that last little twist there's going to be and it, it would have been really interesting if that was a hint that doomsday was somehow going to be the catalyst of whatever final multiverse we're left with when this is all said and done through some sort of path of destruction or something but i think you know zach you explaining it that way it's pretty clear that that's probably what that is and it's not any more interesting than that yeah i would I mean, love for it to be though i actually think that we are not going to get any additional information about the new multiverse that we don't already have you think so i think that the multiverse as we understand it right now which is with its infinite reach or whatever i feel like that is the new dc multiverse and there's not going to be any clarification or change to that in the end of of dark crisis yeah which i don't i don't necessarily i don't say that as a good or a bad thing i just think that 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 is not th those are not the stakes for the end of dark crisis i don't i can't quite tell you what those stakes are right now but i i don't think that that i don't think that the the fate or the makeup of the multiverse is any part of that. I wonder what that, I wonder what that big last kind of twist will be. We know there's gotta be one, right? The, the more we go on, the more I think maybe. Not. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know. It's like anything else with this event. Yeah. Jeff Johns already ruined it. <laughs> yeah yeah well vincey what is coming out next week um i will tell you in a second i just gotta back up in the box here da -da. next week being the 18th correct uh aquaman andromeda number three batman one bad day penguin number one batman superman world's finest number eight batman the night number 10 black adam number five Catwoman number 48, Dark Crisis Young Justice number 5, DC versus Vampires All Out War number 4, Deceased War of the Undead Gods number 3, Duo number 6, Fables 156, GCPD The Blue Wall number 1, uh, Nightwing number 97, The Rogues number 4, The Flash number 787, and Titans United Blood Pack number 2. And possibly Flashpoint Beyond number six. Pot, we're hoping. We're hoping against hope. Yeah, Zach, Zach's like whole demeanor for next week depends on that book coming out. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. He has, he, has, he has a lot writing on this. Um, <laughs> if you need to get in touch with two thirds of us, we are on Twitter. I am at Brian is an app. And I'm at Woke Fox. If you need to find Vince. No, I'm not. I'm at the Woke of Z. Shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Here to find Vince, he is at his local comic shop picking up his three issues of Aquaman Andromeda that he pre-ordered. Yeah. Yep, that's me. I love that. Love the Christian Ward art. Can't get enough. Actually, I'm Wilker Fox right now, too. <laughs> Zach's the Wilker Z. I'm Wilker Fox. Yeah. You've taken over his old Twitter? Yep, I am. 
how how long would it be before you couldn't stop yourself from tweeting about the Packers under his Twitter? <laughs> if, if you were trying to to trick people into thinking that it was actually Zach, how long would that ruse last for? Um, I don't know. I feel like I could fake my way through a bunch of Kingdom Hearts and One Piece posting <laughs> without anybody figuring it out. I feel like we could experiment just with an this. AI. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, we love you anyway. Yeah. Thanks for listening, folks. We'll be back next week. Take care. What What about the Scooby-Doo mystery? Was that this week? Yeah. We didn't mention that in the chat. No, you didn't bring it up in the chat. We talked about it. I confirmed the books in the chat. You never said Scooby-Doo. God damn it. I asked for this exact reason. You can't yeah. be mad at me. I asked I, for this exact I, reason. Okay. All right. That's fine. I guess I just, you know, I just care enough about our show to remember what we talk about the, the night that we decide all this stuff. And so I don't need, I don't need all these reminders. I guess I just, I just give a shit. That's all. You know, I just. Good for you. I just care very <laughs> deeply about this show. And now I, now I scoop read Scooby doesn't do for. No Do you reason. want me to read Scoob Scoob real quick? No, it's not even very good. I know okay. I know I know we're fish heads, but it's not it's fine. It's just fine. Not nearly as funny as it should be. It's probably because DC is censoring Charlie Fish. Probably. It is uh it is uh canon now though that Batman that Scooby it, doesn't do. Yes. Yeah, right. True. Scooby doesn't do anything in this. Um should the book be called The Batman Velma Mysteries? It should be. It should, okay. They should call it Batman Velma. Uh no, but the it's canon now that Batman Incorporated the name is inspired by Mystery Incorporated. Oh, well that's <laughs> of course. Yes. Yeah. Just FYI. You uh, know, in, Morrison and Fish were working so closely together. On Action Comics in the New 52, yeah. yes. Yeah, that that they probably talked about that specifically in case yeah. this ever came up.